Today, Rinpoche elucidated emptiness further by showing us that there is nothing that isn't empty. All things lack intrinsic existence. Even emptiness itself lacks intrinsic existence. Uh, so, once again, welcome everyone to the Chen Rezig Center. We're looking at the last section of Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise on the stages of the path to enlightenment, uh, which is a summary of all Lord Buddha's teachings, which you can summarize into three specific categories, teachings for beings of three capacities. Uh, so the first set of teachings, the teachings uh, shared in common with beings of small capacity, uh, are for beings who wish to achieve higher realm rebirth, uh, he or she would go for refuge to the three jewels of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha and engage in ethical behavior that abandons the ten non-virtuous activities. These practices lead to the higher realms. The next category are teachings shared in common with beings of medium capacity. These are for teachings are for practice. These practices are for people who wish to achieve nirvana or their own individual liberation. Uh, they engage in the three highest higher trainings, the highest higher training in ethics, concentration, and wisdom. And in dependence upon these trainings, he or she will be able to achieve an individual liberation uh, or nirvana. The final set of uh, categories, the teachings for beings of great capacities, and these are the teachings that lead to complete Buddhahood. This practitioner engages in the previously mentioned practices and couples them with bodhicitta, the mind that aspires to enlightenment, and then a practice of the six perfections. And by doing so, he or she is able to achieve Buddhahood. So this is the three different categories of um, teachings the Buddha gave and their results, the corresponding results. Thank 
ਕਿਵੇਂ ਰਾਜੀ ਹੀ ਜੇ ਦੇਵਨ ਦੇਵਰ ਦੇਵਨ ਮਾਈ ਦੇ ਦੇਵਾਂਗੋਬਾ ਲੋਂਬੇ ਮੈਂ ਲੋਂਬਾ ਮੈਂ ਵਿਸ਼ਰੋ ਛੇ ਦੇਨੇ ਦੇਨੇ ਮੈਂ ਬਾ ਨਾਲਾ ਕੋਦੋਂ ਤਾਂ ਦੋਸੋਂ ਵੀ ਜਿਸੇ ਨਤੇ ਇਨੋ ਹੀਸ਼ਰ ਜੋਰਸੋ ਦੇਵਾਤੇ ਤੇ ਮਾਰੇ ਵੀ ਮੋਈ ਆ ਜੋਰਸੋ ਜੋਰਸੋ ਰਿਵਤੇ ਜੋ ਮੇਦੇ ਬਨਾ ਤਬਲਾ ਜੁਨਦੇ ਜੇ ਲੋਜੇ ਜੰਗਨਾ ਤਬਦੂ ਹੀ ਆ ਲੋਜੇ ਦੇ ਤਬਨਾ ਬਰ ਜੋਬਾ ਮੇ ਬਜੀਨੋ ਜੋਰਸੋ ਜੋਰਸੋ ਨਾਬਰ ਜੋਬੀ ਲੋਨੇ ਨਬਾ ਮੇਬੇ ਮੇਲਾ ਜੋਬੀ ਸ਼ੇਬਾ ਜੋਬਨਾ ਹੀਬੇ ਦਦਾ ਦਦਾ ਕੀ ਚੋਬਾ ਚੋਬੀ ਨੋ ਥਾਨੇ ਦੋ ਥਾਨੇ ਦੋ ਯੇਬੇ ਜੀਬੇ ਨੰਗੋਲਾ ਮਾਰੇ ਬੀ ਜਿਤਰ ਜੋ ਅਤਰ ਕੁੰਦੂ ਦੋ ਨਬਾ ਕੁੰਦੂ ਤਿਆ ਮੇਦੇ ਦਨੇ ਮਬਨਾਲਾ ਰਾਗੀ ਮੂਰਜੂਬੇ ਰਾਜੀ ਦੁੰਦੋਵਾਇਲਾ ਤੰਦਾਈ ਰਾਜੀ ਤੇ ਥਾਨੇ ਦੋਆ ਮੈਂ ਵੀ ਸ਼ਰੋਤੀ ਸਰ ਰਿਬਤੇ ਜਾਂ ਥਾਨੇ ਦੋ ਗੋਬਤੇ ਦਰੀਬੇ ਮਾਕੇਨਾ ਥਾਨੇ ਦੋ ਮਬਲਾ ਜਮਤਾਬੋ ਮਰੂਬੋ ਤੇ ਮੋ ਕੀ ਜੁਤਾਬੇ ਰਾਜੀਲਾ ਦੋ ਮਦੋ ਦੋ ਮਦੋ ਲਾ ਸੁਬੇ ਨਾਬਾ ਛਬਰ ਨਮ ਜੁਤਾਨੇ ਦੁਜਾਤਾ ਸ਼ਿਦਾ ਲਾ ਸੁਬਾ ਚਵੰਜੂ ਦਦਾ ਕੀ ਜੇਦਾ ਚਾ ਰੇਬੇ ਸੋ ਸੁਬਾ ਸੋ ਸੁਬਾ ਨੇ ਬਈ ਨੋ ਤਾਇਆ ਜਿਜਾ ਬਲੇ ਜਿਜਾ ਬਿੰਦੇ ਬਲੇ ਦੁਜਾ ਲਾ ਸੁਬੇ ਦੁਜਾ ਲਾ ਸੁਬਾ ਨਾ ਜਾ ਤਮੋ ਕੀ ਕੁੰਦੋ ਤਾਬੇ ਮੋਬੋ ਰਾਜੀ ਕੋਨਾਲਾ ਦੋਬਾ ਦਾ ਮਦੋਬਾ ਲਾ ਸੁਬੇ ਛਬਰ ਜੁੰਦੋਬਾ 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 ਨੀ ਜਿਸਰ ਤਮੋ ਲੇ ਥਾ ਥਾ ਮਦੇਬਾ ਜੁਬਨ ਜੁਸੀ ਤਮੋ ਲਾ ਤੈਨੇ ਤੈਨੇ ਜੁਤੇ ਤਮੋ ਤੋ ਨੀ ਜਿਸਰੋ ਸ਼ੇਰ ਸ਼ੇਰ ਸੋਸੋ ਤੇਦਰ ਨਮੋ ਤਦਾ ਕੀ ਤੁਮਾ ਮੈਂ ਬਨੇ ਸ਼ੁਬੇ ਨੇ ਜੀ ਆ ਜੇਦਾ ਰੇਬੇ ਸੰਸ਼ੋਹਾਂ ਨੇ ਵੇ ਤਦਾ ਨੇ ਸ਼ੇਰ ਥਾਨੇ ਦੋ ਮੈਂ ਦੋ ਤੀਸ਼ਰ ਤੀਸ਼ਰ ਹੰਜੀ ਜੇ ਲੂ ਯੂ ਯੂ ਲਵ ਯੂ ਲਾ ਰੇਬੇ ਦਾ ਨੂ ਮਨੂ ਨੀ ਯੂਦੇ ਜੁਦਾ ਸੋਲ ਜੁਦਾ ਲਾ ਜੁਬਾ ਤਦਾ ਨਾਬਰ ਜੁਬਾ ਨੇ ਥਾਨੇ ਵੇ ਸਮਾ ਹੰਜੀ ਦਦਾ ਕੀ ਯੂਨ ਥਾਨੇ ਦੋ ਯੂਬੇ ਰੇਬੇ ਗੁਬਾ ਮੇਨੋ ਤਦਾ ਨਾ ਸਮੇ ਸੋਜੀ ਤਾਂਜੀ ਜਾ ਸਮੇ ਦਾ ਤਾਬੇ ਲੋਲਾ ਥਾਨੇ ਦੋ ਥਾਨੇ ਦੋ ਰੰਗੇ ਮੂਰਤੂ ਰਾਜੀ ਗੋਬੇ ਥਾਨੇ ਥਾਨੇ ਵੇ ਤੁਨਮ ਨਾਬਰ ਜੁਬਾ ਚੇਕਾਇਓ ਚੇਕਾਉ ਨਾਜੀ ਤਦਾ ਨਮੇ ਤੋ ਲੇਬਰ ਜੋ ਮਸ਼ੀਨਾ ਸ਼ੇਸ਼ੂ ਲਾਂਗੇਬਾ ਹੇਬੋ ਨੇਬਾ ਮੋਇ ਹੇਚੇ ਕੁੰਦੇ ਜੇ ਤਵਾ ਜੋ ਨਾ ਯੂ ਲੁਡੂ ਦਾ ਦੇਬਾ ਨਾ ਜੇ 
देवी लोजे कंजू जबा जो जोसुला खेबा शादे देने से मौसुतो ने तेतोले मारोसो उसकाले जुन या बुदु देने दे खाना गंगसन ने लेस सरपा एनजीके Okay, so um, if everybody wants to turn to page 181 um, in the English, uh, you'll see uh, at the top there's a quote from Chandrakirti um, commenting on Nagarjuna's 60 stanzas on reasoning. Uh, so Rinpoche, we just went back a tiny bit. Rinpoche read that. Again, that's uh, kind of where we left off a, a few times in, but that's where we're going to start today, just with that Chandrakirti quote. Um, that's where Rinpoche began. <clears throat> also, Chandrakirti's commentary on 60 stanzas of reasoning says, The inaccurate are those that apprehend these things in cyclic existence only as blissful and so forth, because even conventionally those things do not have this nature. The accurate are those that apprehend these things are... these things as suffering and so forth because these things have such a nature conventionally have such a nature conventionally he explains that although the permanence and so forth of things of cyclic existence is common knowledge in the world and conceptions are inaccurate even conventionally also even though their impermanence and so forth are not known to the world such conceptions are accurate Thus, a conceptual consciousness which apprehends the ag- aggregates as impermanent and so forth is mistaken in regard to its appearing object, but we call it accurate or non-mistaken insofar as what it deems is not c- contradicted by valid cognition. <coughs> Sensory consciousnesses are mistaken with regard to their appearing objects, and we do not call them non-mistaken since they have no other factor that is non-mistaken. All sensory consciousnesses are alike in being mistaken with regard to uh, that which appears to, to them. However, sensory consciousnesses such as those to which a reflection appears are incorrect conventional consciousnesses. Other and unimpaired sensory consciousnesses are correct conventional consciousness. This is based on whether there is an object compatible with what appears to the worldly perspective of that sensory consciousness. since the objects conceived by conceptual consciousness that apprehend the aggregates as permanent and so forth do not exist conventionally reason can refute them however the referent objects of the conceptions of the aggregates as impermanent etc do exist conventionally hence reason cannot refute them there is no ultimate or essential permanence and so forth likewise there is no conceptions of those eight as existing in reality are identical in their degree of accuracy thinking of this the buddha said in the perfection of wisdom sutras and that you are meditating on signs of true existence whether you meditate upon forms as permanent or impermanent as blissful or painful as being self or not having self as having self or not having self qualm ignorance superimposes intrinsic nature on things for you to use reason to overcome its perspective yet not to refute conventional objects <laughs> This is a contradiction. Then because contra- uh, Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way uh, says, The sage said that because ignorance obscures the nature of phenomena, it is a concealer, uh, a gunzu. The fabrications that it perceives as true are called truths for a concealer. Uh, the, thus, 
Chandrakirti says that forms, sounds, and so forth are posited as a conventional truth, Gunzo Demba, through the form of ignorance. Reply, there is no fault here. When, you posit, when we posit things such as forms and sounds as conventional things, truth means that they are, are true through the force of a particular uh, thought. Since the thought must be considered a conception of true existence, form, sound, and so forth are thoughts for the existence that superimposes intrinsic existence on them. Therefore, Chandrakirti refers to the two types of arhats who have eliminated afflictive uh, ignorance and the bodhisattvas on the eighth level and above when he says, they see these appearances and fabrications and not as real because they do not have an exaggerating conception of true existence. For this reason, Chandrakirti says that those, for those who do not have the conception of true existence, forms and so forth are mere conventionalities. Therefore, the truth of form sounds and such is posited in the perspective of ignorance, but ignorance does not posit, such, posit things such as forms and sounds. For example, from the perspective of a wrong consciousness that apprehends a rope as a snake, the rope is a snake, but the wrong consciousness does not posit the rope, since the mind that posits things like form and sound are the six unimpaired consciousnesses associated with the eye, etc. The objects they establish do not exist conventionally, and thus reason does not refute them. However, even conventionally, they do not exist as ignorance apprehends them. This is because ignorance superimposes as an essential or intrinsic nature on things, and this intrinsic nature does not exist even conventionally. Therefore, reason conventionally refutes what ignorance uh, apprehends. If it did not, then you could not prove that. At the conventional level, things are like illusions. Ignorance superimposes intrinsic nature on things. From this attachment, hostility, and so forth arise. Uh, further superimposing features, such as attractiveness or unattractiveness, upon that intrinsic nature, uh, Therefore, or uh, therefore, reason can also be used to eradicate the way that attachment and such apprehended objects. Chandrakirti's commentary on the 400 stanzas says, Attachment and so forth superimpose features such as attractiveness or unattractiveness all only upon the intrinsic nature of things that ignorance has superimposed. Therefore, they do not work apart from ignorance. They depend on ignorance. This is because ignorance is the main affliction. These are the innate afflictions that have operated from beginningless time. However, because reason can eradicate the way that they, they apprehend things, their reference objects do not exist even conventionally. Therefore, objects of my, innate minds are of two types. Those that reason can refute and those that reason cannot refute. The, the objects of the innate conventional world cognitions that posit things like form and sound do not exist conventionally. Hence, reason does not refute them. Accordingly, since we refute essential or intrinsic existence, even conventionally in the system of the masters of Buddha Palita and Chandrakirti, it seems to be very difficult to posit conventional objects. If you do not understand how to posit these well without contradiction, then you will not be fully certain about the practices in the performance class. It seems that this causes most individuals to fall into an overly negative view. Such the ignorance should not master these systems procedure for positing conventionalities. At this point, 
I am afraid I may have said more than enough about this. I will not elaborate any further. Chabarjamagula Tanya 
Ranging Je Ranging 
Okay, I just wanted to exactly where we were. Where did I leave off? 15, chapter 15. Yeah, okay, that's right. I knew that. 15. Production is not refuted. <clears throat> you cannot eradicate conventional phenomenon by refuting them through investigating whether they are produced in one of the four alternative ways. Objection. Madhyamaka refutes production from self, from another, and from both, as well as causeless production. Does, does this refute production? If you claim that it does, then since these four alternative types of production do not exist even conventionally in this Madhyamaka system, there is no need to add any qualifying phrase to the refutation of production. If you claim that it does not, then your refutation of the four alternatives of production fails to refute ultimate production. Reply. We do not accept the former of these two positions, so I will explain the answer to the latter. Those who assert ultimate production must assert that it withstands analysis by reasoning that analyzes reality. And this is so, as this is so, they must use reason to analyze production so as to discover which it is among the four alternatives, production from self, other, and so forth. Hence, those who assert ultimate production are definitely required to assert that it can be analytically fixed within one of the four alternatives. Because we assert mere production, the arising of particular effects and dependence on particular causes and conditions, we do not assert real production. Since we do not assert real production, why should we use reasoning that analyzes reality to analyze production as to which it is? Production from self, other, and so forth. Four, we 
are not required to assert that production withstands rational analysis. Moreover, dependent, uh, dependent production itself refutes the four alternative types of production, as Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way says. Because things arise dependently, this mistaken conception cannot hear scru bear scrutiny. Therefore, the reasoning of dependent arising cuts all entanglements of bad views. Therefore, Chandrakirti asserts that dependent production refutes the four alternative types of production. However, you claim that if there is no production from among the four alternative types, then even mere production does not exist. Hence, it seems that you propose... Right? Hence, it seems that you propose is the opposite of what Chandrakirti asserts. Chandrakirti's, what, okay, Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way also says... Because things are not produced causelessly or from causes such as divine creator or from self, other, or both self and other, they are produced dependently. However, according to you, it would be contradictory for Chandrakirti to say this. Therefore, dependently produced, dependent arisings are free from the four extreme productions of, of production. Do not ask that which is free from extremes, which of the four extremes it is, is it? Once again, these opponents go wrong by not distinguishing no intrinsic production from no production. Quam, how do you explain the statement in Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way? The argument which shows that production from self and from other are untenable in that context of ultimate reality also shows that production is untenable, even conventionally. This means that if you assert substantially existent production, or production that exists by way of its own character, intrinsic character, then those arguments refuted even conventionally. It does not at all indicate a refutation of mere production, for in the transition to that passage, Chandrakirti's explanation of the middle ways commentary says, Objection, the things that serve as causes and afflicted and pure phenomena must produce substantially existent entities. Reply, even if this were so, then the very words of your statement would not remain. Why? At this point, Chandrakirti gives the verse cited above, the aggregates which shows that production from self and from other, dot, dot, commentary on that verse, he says, you must, be, you must therefore admit, albeit unwillingly, that production by way of intrinsic character does not exist in terms of either of the two truths. Thus, insofar as essentially existent production is ultimately uh, is ultimate production when others assert it, even if they assert it conventionally, you must refute its property just as you refute ultimate production. Since this is the excellent assertion of the master Chandrakirti, you should not assert essentially existent production even conventionally. Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way says, the self-generation of the son of a barren woman exists neither in reality nor in the world. Similarly, all these things lack in the world, both for the world and in reality. Some hold that the lack of intrinsic production, production's lack of intrinsic existence, must mean that production does not exist. They argue that dependent production and the absence of intrinsic uh, production are contradictory. Chandrakirti says in the commentary on the 60 stanzas of reasoning that those who say this have no ears or heart. 
I'm saying that they have no ears. He means that they do not hear the qualification intrinsic when we refer to the lack of intrinsic production. They hold that what we have said, lack of production, is saying that they have no heart. He means that even if they hear, if they have no comprehension of the meaning of the word intrinsic, even if they have no me uh, comprehension of the meaning of the word intrinsic. Chandrakirti 60 stanzas of reasoning says, No supreme knower of reality said that dependent production is not production. Commentating on the passage, Chandrakirti's commentary on the 60 stanzas says, When you are dependent on, when you see dependent arising, you do not perceive things as intrinsically existent. This is because the dependently produced is not intrinsically produced like a reflection. Objection. Is it not the case that dependently produced is only pro produced? How can you say that it is not produced? If you say something is not produced, then you should not say that it is dependently produced. Therefore, because they are mutually exclusive, your position is incorrect. Reply, poor thing. With either ears, neither ears nor heart, you will still argue this puts us in a difficult situation. We contend that dependently produced things are like a reflection, not produced intrinsically. As this is the case, how can your objection stand a chance? Thus you should cherish these distinctions. Also the question of the king of Naga's, uh, questions of the Naga king, I never, Anna something, Vatapa, Vatapta. Whatever is produced from conditions is not produced. It is in, not intrinsic. Whatever is produced from conditions is not produced. It is not intrinsically produced. Whatever depends upon conditions, I consider empty. One who knows emptiness is diligent. This is where I'm not, I think he read to here. After the Buddha has sa stated in the first line, whatever is produced from conditions is not produced, he indicates with the second line the manner of non-production. It is not intrinsically produced. Thus, adding a qualifying phrase to the object of negation, the Buddha says that things are not produced intrinsically. Some hear these words and do not understand them. They say, only, only the produced is not only the produced is not produced. Only the dependent does not depend. They eventually think that aggressively advocating this mass of contradictions constitutes an advanced view. This is also stated very clearly in the Descent in the Lanka Sutra, as quoted by Chandrakirti in his clear words. Mahamat, um, Mahatmati, thinking that there are not produced intrinsically, I said that all phenomena are not produced. So there's where it shows what he meant by not produced, quote from the Buddha. Digsung Rinpoche. That's more than Ngatsu Chua than Linja. Kelong, 
This actually answers the question whether the qualification ultimately should be added to the refutation of production and so forth. However, I will answer this question more specifically below. These points explained above indicate that none of the refutations set forth by opponents can refute this procedure for pos positing things such as gen cause and effect in the absence of intrinsic existence. In general, the height of a false refutation is an argument that obliterates the analysis that was supposed to refute the opponent, leaving no trace. Thus your statement uh, is the height of fake refutation. This is because the method you use to refute your opponent's position analyzing whether the reason contradicts it and so forth can be turned against you and used to refute your critique. You, Quam, you assert the existence of forms and such, so the analysis of such in terms of... You assert the existence of forms and such, so the analysis of them in terms of the four alternatives does not bear upon your position. We, however, have no position of our own. So such analyses do not apply to us. Reply, this argument can, cannot avoid those fallacies. I will explain this la later in the section on whether the view is established through 
reduction ad absurdum, oh, oh, reductio ad absurdum arguments or through autonomous syllogisms. Jim 
I'm on uh, D, right, correct? 189? A refutation of all four parts of the uh, tetralemma is not a legitimate critique of conventional phenomena. Quam, the Madhyamaka texts refute all four parts of the tetralemma, a thing or intrinsic existence exists, does not exist, both exists and does not exist, and neither exists nor does not exist. Uh, reason refutes everything as there is uh, no phenomena that are not included among those, these four. Uh, reply, as indicated earlier, thing has two meanings. Between these two, we refute the assertion that things essentially exist in terms of both truths. However, at the conventional level, we do not refute things that can perform functions. As for the non-things, if you hold them 
hold that non-compounded phenomena are essentially existent non-things, then we also refute such non-things. We, we likewise refute something that is both such a thing and such a non-thing. And we also refute the, something that essentially exists as neither. Uh, the, thus, you should understand that all methods for refuting the tetralemma are like this, involving some qualifier such as essentially. Suppose you refute the tetralemma without affixing any such qualification. You refute the position that ex things exist, and you refute the position that things do not exist. You then say, uh, it is not the case that they both exist and do not exist. If you know, um, if you now continue with the refutation saying it is also not the case that they are neither existent nor non-existent, then you implicitly contradict your own position. If you then stubbornly insist, even so, there, there is no fallacy, then the debate is over because we, have, we do not debate with the obstinate. Furthermore, when you refute essential or intrinsic nature or self with regard to the aggregates, this gives rise to a wisdom consciousness thinking, intrinsic nature or self does not exist. If you also refute the lack of intrinsic nature, that is the object of that wisdom consciousness, then you are refuting the Madhyamaka view, refuting the Madhyamaka view. Uh, this, is this is because you have refuted the object of the wisdom consciousness that knows that phenomena lack intrinsic nature. This is what I ask of those who claim to refute both intrinsic nature and the absence of intrinsic nature. Please tell me how you refute the absence of intrinsic nature that is the object of the wisdom consciousness as asserting that the aggregates do not intrinsically exist. <coughs> Kwam. Nagarjuna's fundamental treatise says, if there was the slightest trace which is non-empty, then a trace of emptiness would exist as well, and there is no trace that is non-empty. How could there be a trace of emptiness? Therefore, so that's talking about the emptiness of emptiness. It's just asserting there's no, emptiness has no intrinsic existence either. Um, so it's, it's not, it's stating that emptiness isn't the ultimate final uh, thought in terms of like a final, singular finality. Singular, there's no singular or any final purpose because emptiness itself is empty. Uh, so that's what the point that they're making. How could there be a trace of emptiness? Um, as there is no trace that is non-empty, how could there be a trace of emptiness? Therefore, because there is nothing that is not empty, the emptiness that is the absence of intrinsic existence also does not exist. Hence, uh, uh, reply, here in the fundamental treatise, empty and non-empty refer to being empty and not empty of intrinsic nature, and they are used in this way throughout the entire text from beginning to end. This is not empty of intrinsic nature means having intrinsic nature. What, thus, not empty of intrinsic nature means having intrinsic nature. What could be more ridiculous than your position that since there is no intrinsic nature, the emptiness is the absence of intrinsic nature also does not exist. Uh, there, furthermore, the definite knowledge which apprehends that something such as a seedling uh, lacks essential or intrinsic nature apprehends that there is no intrinsic nature in the seedling. It does not think the absence of intrinsic nature exists, nor does it think 
this, the, this absence of intrinsic nature does not exist. Close your eyes, turn inward and know this. It is very easy to understand. It would not be appropriate to apprehend the absence of intrinsic nature as existing in that way. Suppose that this did mean that it is proper to use reason to refute the existence of emptiness in order to overcome the conception that the absence of intrinsic nature exists. You would still have to hold that they are refuting the object of some other mind which apprehends the absence of intrinsic nature as something that uh, established exists. It would be quite wrong to refute the object of the wisdom that realizes that a sing seedling does not intrinsically exist. When we refute the essential or intrinsic nature of a seedling, we have definite knowledge that the seedling does not intrinsically exist. Thus, then, even if you, some, even if some other awareness apprehends that absence of intrinsic nature as existing, reason does not refute the object of that other mind. However, if the mind that holds the emptiness exists, uh, it holds that emptiness exists essentially, however, if that mind holds that emptiness exists essentially, then reason does not refute that qualm. How could someone develop an apprehension that, uh, that the absence of intrinsic nature intrinsically exists? Reply, in perceiving the seedling's lack of intrinsic nature, you do not establish this lack of the seedling's uh, intrinsic nature. You still might develop the idea that the absence of intrinsic nature is the intrinsic nature of the seedling. For example, in the absence of a pot, you would not develop the idea. The truth is that there is a pot, but you might develop the idea, the truth is that there is no pot. Accordingly, since there is nothing at all that is not empty of intrinsic existence, it is perfectly reasonable to say that even the emptiness, which is, which is a seedling's lack of intrinsic nature, lacks essential existence. Chandrakirti's commentary on the 400 stanzas speaks of refuting essential existence of emptiness. If that which is called emptiness did not Ha, did have some essential existence, then things would have intrinsic nature. However, uh, however, it does not. In order to indicate this, Arya Davis 400 stanzas says, As there is nothing that is not empty, from what can emptiness arise? As there is nothing to oppose, how can thus be a remedy? If you disagree and you refute the existence of the emptiness, which is the absence of intrinsic nature, then the absence of intrinsic nature, the absence of intrinsic nature would not exist. In that case, since essential or intrinsic nature would exist, it would be totally inappropriate to refute intrinsic nature. For this vein, for in this vein, Nagarjuna's refutation of objection says, How could the absence of intrinsic nature, in my words, refute my claim that things lack intrinsic nature? If the absence of intrinsic nature were refuted, then the presence of intrinsic nature could be, would be proven. And Nagarjuna's commentary on refu refuting, refutation of objections, commenting on that, says very clearly, Objection. Just as someone might stop sound with the sound, don't make a sound. So the absence of intrinsic existence in your words refutes your claim that there is no intrinsic nature in things. Uh, reply. The example is correct, but your point is not. Here, words that have no intrinsic nature do not refute the intrinsic nature of things. If you, absence of intrinsic, 
If the absence of intrinsic nature in the words could refute the absence of intrinsic nature in things, then this would refute the absence of intrinsic nature itself. Therefore, things would have intrinsic nature, and because of having intrinsic nature, they would not be empty. Therefore, just after the passage in the fundamental treatise and above, how could there be a trace of emptiness? Nagarjuna says, The conqueror said that emptiness eradicates all dogmatic views. Uh, as for those who take a dogmatic view of emptiness, he said that they are incurable. Let's go. Where did he read to? Just want to make sure where we read to. I read a little extra, but that's okay. Time for question and answer. Yeah. We're fine. Okay. Any questions? I'm just going to start this one off. Um, How common is it for a uh, woman to achieve enlightenment in her form? Is it, does that make sense? Um, like, is it. Well, Tara is a Buddha. What do you mean by common? Like, do more men achieve enlightenment than women? The Rimche. The pu tam pumo ni pu pumo. The nicha the the sanje the sanje the um the pumo the pumo dang pu sanje je tugure. The ne the pumo pumo more kongi triwa. He doesn't know if there's more <coughs> women or men. Okay. He says both can both do become Buddhas. The Rimache, the Droma, the Jemen, Shanchip Jason, Bu Jason. The Droma, Jonkar, Con Jemen, and Con Sanjay. Then Con the Shanchi Sembi Sad Jupa, Melula, Con Pupomo, Pomo. Con Melolam, Con Pumoyen. Yes. Okay, yeah, so Tara is an example of a, a female that be, became a Buddha as a female. Right. There's many others, but just an example we see and use a lot. And Rinpoche's main initiation is, um, I asked if uh, Tara was at the, the final Bodhisattva ground, a female, and he said yes.
we've kind of talked about this before, but maybe Rinpoche could talk a little bit about kind of karma in terms of intentionality versus kind of results that, you know, is it more connected to what our intention was? Um, and how does that work if it's kind of a mistaken intention? So if our intention is right, but the result ends up being negative, um, or if our intention is mistaken, but necessarily could have a positive result. Um, because it seems like when you're talking about karma, I know this isn't the right description, but it's almost like there's a cosmic scorecard for how you're going to come into these six levels of being through rebirths and your karmic actions. So ultimately, there has to be a distinction of whether a karmic action has a positive or negative effect towards that rebirth. So how does that kind of, you know, how is that, de- you know, not determined, but, you know, how does that kind of work at that level? で、で、コンチュアで、で、ゴロンケチャンプドゥ。で、サンサンアツゴロンヤプドゥ。イネジャポヤプヨマレ。ガツコンロパチェゴ。ガツゴロンヤプドゥ。イネガツロパチェでん
ne de de con dugnel de ngame ngame le depo de nga le de golong yapo gemma depo yapo yongre okay um so when we speak about karma and karma's results those results are um, related to our continuum. So they aren't related to um, anyone else. Um, our karma doesn't influence another's karma in, in terms of being able to connect with it in some way and manipulate it or um, have our virtuous karma um, give rise to happiness in another being. Um, that cannot happen. It only our karma, <clears throat> which is basically actions that we've engaged in, that left imprints within our continuum that are seeds that will eventually give rise to a result, is our karma. It'll never transfer to anyone else, and it'll never influence another's experience in terms of um, what they, how they, ha what their result is based on how we interact with them. So say, I was talking with Rinpoche, say the example of if you give somebody who's poor money and your, your motivation is to help them out of their suffering, but then they go and buy more drugs instead and now they have a worse problem. And your motivation was good, but now it's turned into something that's suffering. And he said that the two aren't connected in any way whatsoever. Even though they appear to be in this world system, and your interaction appears to be connected, they aren't connected in any way. The generosity that you engage in is going to give rise to some future experience for you of happiness, and it has nothing to do with how the next person experiences your generosity. Their experience is based on their previous karma that, that is interacting with the world, and then conditions arise and then various experiences for them arise. Um, so your giving of the money might just be a condition for the arisal of another karma, but it doesn't serve as the reason for the result. The result is always the own person's previous action. And your interaction with them is separate. So your interaction then will give rise to virtue. And there's two kinds of karma. There's throwing karma and there's completing karma. So the throwing karma gives rise to whatever you know, type of um, existence we have. So for instance, uh, I'm a human, so I have a good throwing karma. But I look kind of strange, so my completing karma could be better. Completing karma fills in the details around your existence. So your throwing karma puts you in a rebirth. Human, dog, animal, hell realm. So you're, but then the details within that are filled in by your completing karma. So that's why uh, we're all humans, but some of us are, uh, according to worldly standards, and that's what we have to go by, uh, more beautiful. Some of us are smarter. Some of us uh, are better bicycle riders. Some of us can jump out of airplanes, maybe. Has anybody here ever done that? Probably, I bet. But you get my point, um, that all of that is due to the completing karma that's filling in the details of our existence. And that is ours and ours alone. 
So that completing karma and then the ongoing experience is all just driven by those seeds that we have and whatever ones give arising. The negative ones are giving rise to suffering experience and the positive ones are giving rise to happy experiences. And the more we create virtue, the more future experiences of happiness we'll have. And the, and we, the more non-virtue, the more suffering experiences that we'll have. And the Buddha has basically gotten to the point where there's nothing left in the, that consciousness except virtue. So there's nothing else that can happen but happiness. And that's why a Buddha doesn't suffer. And that's why, um, um, you know, once a, a, uh, Arhat has gotten rid of in the Hinayana tradition, the afflictive obstructions, he or she is able to not have suffering any longer because that which gives rise to it is no longer there and the recipe to make more of it is no longer there. So it can't happen again because the, the thing that makes it happen again isn't there and what causes the thing that makes it to happen again isn't there. So there's no moving factor for anything but happiness. And then once the um, imprints of the obstructions are removed, at that point then the, there's uh, no longer barriers to all-knowing. Um, but it, it's, all a, it's all that individual's karma and working within that framework of whatever karma I have in my continuum. Um, so whatever that is is what I have to work with and you can't give me any of yours and I can't give you any of mine and it's always changing and it's always <coughs> karma is disintegrating and, and uh, non-virtuous karma is being eradicated virtuous karma is being eradicated so when we're happy we're getting rid of our virtue too so it's not and it's not like it stays around till Buddhahood that's why we dedicate our virtue when we do the, and we point it right at Buddhahood it's so that we don't experience it by hearing a joke and laughing you know what I mean because that's happiness that's a form of, of happiness so we don't want our virtue to cause things like that we want our virtue to cause Buddhahood so that's why the motivation going back to the motivation and and the pointing the virtue at a specific thing is important um, so the motivation itself is important because that dictates the power of the karma you're creating. Like if you really want someone to be free from suffering and that's why you gave them that dollar, um, or did you give them that dollar because there was someone with you that you wanted to see you give the dollar, or did you give the dollar because you were, you know, there's just so many things that like uh, are like, I've been in that boat, so then it becomes an ego thing, like, oh, I can relate to you, I'll give you that dollar, because you were like, I'm better than you now, and I was like you, like, there's so much wacky stuff that our mind does and can do, and that's why there's so many varieties of experience, because there's so many varieties of ways that one single thing can manifest, just one giving of a dollar can manifest in a million different ways an experience because of the motivation behind it and the power of the basis giving a dollar to the Buddha is better than giving a dollar to you know somebody who's gonna misuse it or you know what I mean so then there's that too the power of who you're giving it to 
and what that represents. So karma is more difficult to figure out than emptiness because you need omniscience to get why this happened, when, and all of that. Does that answer the question? I only filled in a few details. Rinpoche um, gave the throwing and completing karma and all of the explanation of the in concordance with the behavior of the result of the person. You know, like so many times you think you're doing something good and it turns into a disaster and it looks like you were trying to be something else or trying to be, do something wrong or trying to pry or trying to, you know, and it, that person's like, like um, experience is their karma and it had nothing to do with what you said to them. The, the, what you said to them served as a condition, just, but that's it. Just a condition to give rise to them hearing it and then saying, oh, that was great advice, or I hate you. You know, it's just all their karma. And that's how you can kind of detach. That's why, you know, understanding these things allows you to become less attached because you start to realize that um, you have less control around things than you previously thought. You know, you do the best you can, but it's, you know your motivation is because your goal is to be better than you are now in some way, spiritually. All right, I'm uh, sorry if this isn't super relevant to anyone else here. Everything's but, uh, relevant. All right, so I was in the pro about three weeks ago, I was in the process of uh, assembling this altar, and I had everything set up except, you know, an, a, the Buddha image for the main altar piece, which was coming in the mail. But it turns out in the interval... I ended up having to uh, put my dog to sleep, and so what so I decided, yeah, what I decided so I would sorry. do is I took um, a bunch of, I, I put some images of the dog, uh, like sort of where the altar thing would be, and then above that I put images uh, from various Buddhist traditions, including some Zen stuff, and, and I used the uh, forty-two uh, peaceful deities in particular. But I was uh, looking at this book today, and it, the, the first page of the book it says, you know, Dharma should be disposed of spectrally. You should do this by burning it. I'm not sure if I'm going to do the, like, a 23 or a 45-day uh, morning thing yet, but I'm going to, but, you know, at the end of that period, I'm going to have these paper images, and I already have the, you know, the nicer altered piece. Should I take, especially that, that one of the, uh, like, the 42 peaceful deities, do I burn that? Is there any specific procedure I need to follow for uh, Why disposing? Why is it that you want, just so, um, is it a specific ritual where oh, right. at the end of the I understand the bardo process yeah. but I mean the these deities and the bur like disposing of them at the end is or are why why well, wouldn't you keep them on your altar all right, well basically that's what I guess yeah, I'm misunderstanding I guess, yeah I'm not really trying to do I'm sort of trying to do an intersect I'm just the only ch I'm doing a hundred chants of the uh the heart citra chant and a hundred uh the uh the omani padney homes but right now I just so I ordered this nice, you know, framed image of the Buddha, mm -hmm. and that, that's what I intended to have at the altarpiece. I didn't have it when I put my dog down, but I needed right. something. Right, you there wanted to something. The, so I took, you know, just printed with my computer product. Pro, I get like, it now. Like Some of the dog, and then some above that, some images of the Buddha. But once I'm done with this, I'm going to want to hang up the nice altarpiece. I get it now. I, get it now. Yeah. I didn't, um, one thing that's really important um, to... First off, just as advice from the Dharma, is that any image of the Buddha you look at as the same quality, um, as far as being a Buddha, him or herself. So even if it's just a photocopied picture, 
um, or it's this beautiful statue of Shakyamuni, we would, you, as a Buddhist, you would see both as equal, both as having a, a same, ex, both are Buddhas. Um, so both, um, one isn't a higher quality than the other. So it's important that when you do, do whatever you end up doing, that you have that in mind, that you aren't burning it because you think that it's inferior in quality to the Buddha that you have coming in the mail. If there's some way you could put them both there, um, maybe it's relevant, maybe it's not, but I, then I'm going to get to the part where how you, how you dispose of it. Um, but just as an aside, um, it's something to really think about. And I'm sorry about that. I have three dogs. Dogs are my life. I have four, if you count, our half dog, Wistasha. And um, yeah, that's the hardest thing you can ever, ever have to go through. So I, I appreciate that you want to do the process. And, and anybody who isn't understand, um, there's a process when someone passes, anyone passes, that for 49 days, Buddhist, Buddhists believe that there is the potential that the being who passed could still be in an intermediate state. After 49 days, then there's no longer, that being has taken a rebirth, according to Buddhism, 100%. But they may have already taken a rebirth. Like, your dog might have already taken his or her next life, but the potential that they are still in the intermediate state is there. Therefore, Buddhists do prayers for 49 days to cover that entire period when the being could be in the bardo, in the intermediate state. But he or she may not be, because some there's what's called an instantaneous birth almost, where you're in the bardo for a moment. Um, so it just depends on that being's karma. But that being said, let's go back to the question about how to dispose of it. Uh, Rinpoche, Rinpoche, Kon triwa yure, the kon ki shison, kon ki shison, the ne kon chusham, the Dets Dets Zuson, the 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 Sanjay Par Mambo, then Konki Par Nyamdu, then Kon the 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 Nima Shapu, Jipju, the Jigu, Kon Molan Jagare, Kon Mani Dang Dang Sheriff Nimpo Dung, Gangin Sena Kon Bardola, Chikshena, the Ne, the Tsar, the par, con the par, dan ki par, dan sanje par, the mambo nyamdu, con the zuzuson, con kapijasun. Then the, the shaput, the bardu tsar, con the yushugu, the kandre yushu, the oma home, then the meja gariyakshu, tetsgeche. Then yuna kandre, meja gare. Yuna. Gangisene sanje par yere. Then chu yure, then eh, this are con gugumare, segudu gangisina, con sanje go chembo yongore, then con chusham shagare, then de par gugumare, yene con de de gugo, then eh, the gare, gare dang, o ma hom, o ma hom, o ma hom. Rimache is saying, like, I, I, if you can just keep it, then that's best. It's a picture of a Buddha. He doesn't understand why you need to get rid of it. The only thing is I have like... Limited space? The, well, the, the altar is sort of in this part of my wall where the fireplace is on the floor below, so it sort of c 
comes out like this and there there is like I got the frame picture so that it fits that whole protrusion, you know, the the, the measurements on that. Could you put it behind the new Buddha? Like Oh yeah, take I, it I, out I could just frame? leave it up and just put the the new Buddha picture right in front of it. Yeah, I could do that. I, it's just a thought. Yeah, oh yeah, that, that wouldn't be hard. Now, I, I didn't know if that would be disrespectful or not. No. No. The, the part of wanting to get rid of it could be all right, all right. You know so, what I mean? So if I just but, left it there and I put the new, I took the new frame picture and I just hung it up over top of it, that that would work fine. Yes. All right, then yeah, that's yeah. fine then. Um, and also, um, what was I going to say? Just for anybody who does need to dispose of dharma and doesn't know how, um, there is a way to do it. Um, like if, like these notes, for instance. These, these we shouldn't just throw out because they, they, I write down Buddha, I write down. So when you need to get rid of something, it's said that with the proper motivation of like why you're, you're doing it, it isn't to you know, get rid of Dharma, it isn't so Dharma's not in the world anymore, I'm burning this. It's, there's a proper motivation. Um, you say Oma Hum three times and then you burn it. You imagine that you Oma home three times, and you imagine that whatever you're burning dissolves into emptiness, and then that's the proper way to dispose of things. Thank you very much. Yeah. the Yakshu. this segudu, segudu, this Sanjay Garyena Chipa. Sanjay Parjat Dan Gu Chembo Chipa. Nay Lapsu. Nay Lapja Lapsu. <laughs> I told him that I gave the advice of that all the Buddhas um, were of the same quality. I told him, I told him I, that, and that every Buddha is a Buddha, no matter what it's made of. I said, I told you that while he was napping. <laughs> That's why he chuckled. <laughs> Anyone else? Okay. Oh, one more. That's a great question, by the way. Really, really great. And a great answer came out of it. So, like so a teaching. You, I mean, we go online and we open up a website and there's a thousand, no, dozens and dozens of pictures of Buddhas. Then we close it. I mean, is there any relationship between looking at related to what he was talking about? That you looking at images online and then you just turn off the computer or okay. you just whatever. I like that question. Rimache, the Tsansang Natsu, the computer, the Dagadu, then Natsu Sanjay Par Mambo Dagadu, computer la. Then they Natsu the Tsar, Natsu the Jagadu, like Goja, the Chipa, then Injike close, close, the door close. In GK, the computer close. Yene Sanjay Par Mepachag. Oma Hon Lagwe. Sanjay Par Mepachana. Tomba Nid Sanodan. Oh, to logo mothers. You don't need to do anything. I'm got it now, but you don't need to do it. I'm doing it. I'm worried. But you're not disposing of it. It's still there. Yeah, so you're not... Because it's still there. You just have to press the button again. So it's like it's still in there. Because I used to worry about that. Like I had a screen picture of a Buddha at one point. Like, and like it's in my pocket. It's no longer because I couldn't take the 
mind freak out any longer. It was, I don't even think it lasted a day, but... Anyway, let's do the concluding thing. So that's why it's so important to do this last part where we dedicate. Um, it's so that we don't experience some sort of frivolous happiness in this life um, and then the karma that we created from this wonderful teaching is extinguished. We want it to carry on till Buddhahood. So by doing this, it cements it in to Buddhahood and makes it so it's not experienced at a you know, Chris Rock stand-up performance. Unless you hate him. Then that would be suffering and that would be something else. The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers, adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon. I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure realm. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings and of all sentient beings, and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Lozandrapa to shine forever. I send forth this jeweled mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well. With whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors who traverse the three times, I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of all benefit and happiness. All powerful Avogateshvara Tenzin Yatsa may stay until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of the precious Kensar Wandok, upholder of scriptural and realizational doctrines, the spiritual friend who trained extensively in the five great philosophical texts, with exceptional wisdom and perseverance. Tuji Rimti Guti Shapi Denonan. Atsu Lam Rimchimu Kanga Chirinam, Umaju